worship this morning. It is great to see the church gathered together, worshiping the Lord. Oh, so happy to be here with you all today. Um, we are going to continue to press on. We are almost at the end of Paul's letter to the Romans, and we are going to uh, finish out chapter 15 today. So I'd like you to go ahead and uh, open your Bibles with me to chapter four, uh, 15, and we're going to read verse 14 all the way through the end. So we've got about 20 uh, or 19 verses in there. So go ahead and just take a minute to that as we read together and draw our attention to, uh, to God's Word today. Romans 15, uh, starting in verse 14. Paul writes, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around Illyricum I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessing. When therefore I have completed this and delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. As we are wrapping up chapter 15 in this uh, letter to the Romans, um, I think we see Paul talking to us about this treasure that we've been given in the gospel, and he's given us this call not to hide this treasure. I, I thought about it this way. If I walked up to my kids and I gave them a map and I said, hey guys, here's a treasure map. Something's buried in the backyard. Go ahead and go find it. The reaction from my kids would be excitement, joy. They'd be in the garage finding that shovel so fast I couldn't even blink. And then, of course, I'd end up with lots of holes in my backyard too. But the point is they would hear and they would see what I've written. They would take what I've given them and they would run after it and they would chase it down and they'd say, my dad told me there's treasure to be found and we need to go find it. We need to dig it up like he told us to do. How many of us, if we had that same opportunity and we had somebody hand us a map and said, hey, there's great treasure here, go find it. You'd probably look at them and say, yeah, okay, you kook. Whatever you say, yeah, I, I, I've, I've heard this one before, right? That's the faith of a child. So as we're reading through this letter to the Roman church, I think that this idea of this treasure that has uh, been hidden and needs to be dug up and found and spread out sticks out to me. We've come quite a long way through this letter, and as we finish off chapter 15 today, we see Paul take what he's taught and he's going to tell us now that we know this, now that we have this knowledge of God, 
And now that we know how we are to live it out, this is not just information that we're going to sit around with. What Paul's given us here throughout the book of Romans is gold. It is knowledge that people are in desperate need to hear. People need to hear this message to be made right with God because we all stand before a holy and righteous God condemned in our own, sin, in our own flesh and in our sin. And this treasure we have in the book of Romans of salvation through justification in Christ, it leads to a life that will bring blessing to those around you, and it will lead you to live a life that will show honor to the God who saves you. But like we said just a second ago, this gold and this treasure that Paul has passed on to us is not one that we just go and bury for ourselves to hold on to. This is treasure that we're to take to our neighbors and our city and our nation and to the ends of the earth. This book of Romans, it is a treasure map in in effect. And just like I gave that to my kids and they'd be getting the shovels out and on their expedition in my backyard trying to find where this treasure I said is buried is at, that should be our heart as a church is to take what's written here to see the immense value and worth of Christ that's been revealed to us through it and to take that out and to share that treasure and to spread it to everyone across the face of the earth. We've been given this letter to the Romans, like we said, is to be taken across the ends of the earth. That's why this screen has said for the last year and a half as we've gone through Romans, Romans, Christ to all nations. And I cheated on my heading for the service today, or for the sermon today. I just stole the heading for the entire book. But this is, this, this chapter, this end of this chapter is Paul telling us Christ is going to all the nations. And he has a part to play in that. And we have a part to play in that. We repeated many times throughout this, uh, through our journey through the letter of Romans, um, Pastor Mike Kane's summary of the book of Romans. Anybody remember that? It's been a while since we've said it, but he described the book of Romans as the one true God's one true way for all the world to be right with Him. We've seen this one true God revealed to us in this letter. We've seen this, His one true way of salvation revealed to us in this letter. And now in the end of chapter 15, Paul tells us of this mission that he's on to see this knowledge that he's given to us to see it go to the people of every tribe, tongue, and nation in order that they may be made right with God. There's a challenge for us here as we read these words. Even for us here, 2,000 years later, after Paul penned this letter to the Romans, we're not passive bystanders of what's going on here. We're not to just sit around and hold on to this knowledge. We should be looking for ways to be active participants in heralding this good news of the gospel and to take what we've been given freely and not just hide it away for our own knowledge or to make ourselves feel better, but to take this great gift and like Paul who has taken it to the nations, to take it and to partner with one another, with other churches, with brothers and sisters in the faith, just like Paul did with the Roman church so long ago to partner with them in that mission and to actively take this good news of Jesus out to the world. I think we see the uh, theme of this passage summarized in verse 20 where Paul tells us that it is his ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. The mission Paul is seeking to fulfill is to see churches planted and to see the gospel take root and to see people have the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their lives in places that it's never happened before. And as they come to this fullness of knowledge, we see even these churches, even these new believers, even these people who have found this newfound treasure join in in the mission to spread the good news of the gospel. They become partners with Paul as he's traveling the ancient world to tell people about Jesus. Here in Romans 15, Paul tells us what he's done and he tells us what he's still intending to do. And he tells the church in Rome his plan and his hope for his future travels and his future missionary work. 
He tells him where he hopes the Lord will take him. Take him to places the gospel has not yet gone, to places, as Paul says, where Christ has not yet been named. This is going to leave us a challenge today too. This is going to leave us to join in with Paul, to do similar uh, to what he says in verse 30, where he appeals to the church in Rome to strive together with him. We get to strive together for the sake of the gospel. We get to strive together in our prayers, in our labors, in our resources that we've been given to share the good news that has so radically transformed us and has given us a hope beyond anything else this world would ever try to tempt us with. We land in our text today now after spending what has been the last chapter and a half instructing the church in Rome how to live together in harmony, following Christ's example. So that now here in Rome, if we remember back to chapter 14, we have these different believers from different backgrounds. Some who have grown up as Jews in houses that would have been teaching them that there would be a Messiah coming from the people of Abraham from that line of David. As well as pagans, Gentiles, people who have no knowledge of any of this. People who are not a part of this covenant people of Israel. These two groups of people who now worship together have become one covenant community. These people would have looked at each other prior to this, prior to coming uh, to faith in Christ, as people that they probably wouldn't have had anything in common with. These people were just strangers and people who lived sort of in their towns or their communities. But now they're together, worshiping one God, worshiping their Lord Jesus. With these people... Paul has spent much time teaching them to be patient and bear with one another. To be people who come together to praise the Lord with one harmonious voice. We saw it pretty clearly, I think, over the last three weeks as we've gone through Romans 14 and 15. And now, on the back of this teaching that Paul has given, to live in harmony together under Christ, Paul builds his point that those people who worship together now, Jew and Gentile, were always going to find themselves in this situation. God had always intended to bring them together to worship Him. And now, they stand together, unified with one new mission, one new vision, one new purpose. As we come to verse 14 that is on the back of this teaching to the Roman church of living in harmony, this teaching probably may have felt confusing to some people. It may have felt harsh or even judgmental from Paul, potentially. But in verse 14, Paul comes to them and he tries to bring them some measure of comfort to say, I'm not just here to beat you guys down, right? I don't think of myself as holier than you. He tells them in verse 14 that he's satisfied about them because they're receiving this teaching and he's heard the good um, things that they're doing for the Lord. And he calls them his brothers. And yes, in verse 15, he has spoken boldly to them. And Paul knows the instruction he's given in the last chapter and a half has been pointed and probably difficult for them to take and apply into their day-to-day lives. But Paul now slows down a little bit and he tells them, my brothers, my brothers, you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. And well, Paul's an apostle, and he's been on this mission to preach and proclaim the gospel, and he's been a teacher to them, and he's given them so much in the way of instruction of who God is and the faith they live out. He reminds them in verse 14 that they are ultimately his brothers. He's not over them. them. He's not greater than them. Paul has a ministry that he's been called to fulfill. But he's not just some holy man living far away whom they've never met that now they owe some kind of tribute to. They are his brothers, and his desire for them is to present their bodies as living sacrifices, not to Paul, but to God. He wants them to use the good news they've received from the Holy Spirit to be filled with the knowledge of the truth of Jesus and to be able to teach others about this great truth of the gospel where they themselves have found an eternal hope. 
Paul's statement here, as he's pivoted out of his teaching and starts to talk to his brothers now, it kind of reminds me of a time when I was in the Marines, and I had just graduated from basic training. And um, at basic training, the last thing you do is you're in formation, and they say, uh, you're dismissed, everybody does an about-face, shout oorah really loud, and then at that point, the formation dissolves, and you're free to go. And for the first time in three months, I found myself able to leave that base. Of course, as soon as I found my mom in the stands, though, she looked at me and said, can we meet one of your drill instructors? I said, no. No. Why in the world would you want to do that? But I obliged, and we found Staff Sergeant Saratelli, who wasn't exactly the nicest guy to me for the previous three months. And I embarrassingly watched my mom look at him and ask him, do you think he's going to be a good Marine? That's when he had done something I had never seen him do to that point. He smiled. And he told my mom he's going to be all right. He's going to be all right. Just made my life terrible for three months, buddy. This man who spent the last three months instructing me, training me on what it meant to be a part of this family of Marines, he looked at my mom in this moment, and after everything he put me through, after all the hardship that I went through, he told her at this time that I wasn't just a recruit anymore. But he saw me now as his brother in the service. Much lower ranking brother, yes. But I'd gone through the training. I'd passed the test. He did what he needed to do to train me and teach me, but now we're brothers and we're on one mission together. And that's Paul right now with the church in Rome. He's gone through boot camp. He's gone through the boot camp of the Christian faith in this letter to the church of Rome. And even though he's written boldly, and even though he has challenged this church in Rome in many ways, he's writing now to his brothers his brothers in the faith. And his goal in writing this, this whole time has been teaching the church of Rome that they would become brothers and that they would continue to build other brothers up in the faith. Paul's passing on what he's learned and what he's known and what he's gotten from Jesus himself to the church in Rome to see them continue to pass that on now too to the brotherhood of believers that's there. Paul's been given this specific call and this job to do, and his writing here is not that he is some kind of superior follower of Jesus. No, we know Paul doesn't believe that about himself. In 1 Timothy 15, he calls himself the chief of sinners. But he's writing this letter to his brothers who he longs to see grow in their faith so that they're filled with the knowledge of God so that they can continue their work now instructing one another as Paul has instructed them. This is about replicating what's already been built. This is about taking what's been built and making it happen again and again and again. Paul describes this work that God's called him to as a priestly service of the gospel in verse 16. I heard someone describe the work of a priest before. I don't remember who said it, but I heard this recently. But the work of a priest is to go before God for the people. Here Paul says he's doing a priestly service as he ministers to the Gentiles to see them sanctified by the Holy Spirit as living sacrifices to God. This is why Paul writes this letter to the church in Rome. He wants to see them mature in their faith. He wants to see Christians have a fuller understanding and knowledge of God so that the fear of God that comes from the knowledge of Him would bring about an obedience of faith in Christ for the forgiveness of of sin in their lives. This priestly service is what Paul has been called to. To go to the the Gentiles. To prepare them as a living sacrifice like we saw back in Romans 12.1 and to turn around and present it back to God. This is the work of God that Paul or the work that God has called Paul to. And this is why he says that this is the only boast He can claim in life now. Look back at verse 17 with me. 
In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Paul was a man who could have had much to boast about in his life. The statement in Romans 15, 17, it reinforces something Paul tells the church often. Because he is a man who worked hard and was diligent and was disciplined and was pursuing life as, a, as this holy religious leader in Israel. In Philippians uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 4, Paul writes this, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul was a well-educated man. He was a well-respected man. He was working his way up the ladder in Israel of the Pharisees. And this list from Philippians 3, he tells us he had many many, many things in life he could have looked at and boasted about. Not only that, he probably did boast about them. But on the road to Damascus, when Jesus appeared to him and called him from his life, persecuting the church, called him from his life, chasing the praise and acclaim of man, and called him into this service of the kingdom to go out into the world to call Gentiles to repentance and faith in Jesus, Paul lost all his ability to boast in and of himself. Because Paul saw now Jesus, who was the Messiah, had fulfilled the law. And in fulfilling the law, in imparting his righteousness to Paul, it has removed all of Paul's ability to boast in any of his own good works, in any of his own righteousness that he was working so hard for. So all he has left to say in Philippians is that the only thing he can boast in is Christ. He's given it all up. He has nothing left in and of himself. And that's why he says here in Romans the same thing. In Christ Jesus, in Him, Paul can be proud of his work because that work is not about Paul. And this work that he can boast in is not boasting in himself. Paul's not telling the Roman church, look at all the great things I've done. Send me money. Paul's calling them to obedience to faith in Christ. Paul's calling them to boast in the sure and true hope they have in Jesus. Because He is the one who is God. He is the one who came from heaven. He is the one who lived and died and washes us clean. It is in Him we boast, and not our own works of righteousness. So here in verse 18 of Romans, Paul says it plainly. I can boast because my boast is not in me. I can only speak to these matters that we speak of right now because of what Jesus has done in me. Paul has experienced this radical transformation of life. He's experienced a radical transformation of his heart's desires. And he's found himself with a call in his life that is the exact opposite of what he's doing when we meet him in Acts chapter 7. Does anybody remember where Paul is and what he's doing when we first see him in Acts? He's leading the charge, stoning Stephen. He's murdering Christians for proclaiming their faith. He is a zealous man under the law. 
And that all changes on that road to Damascus when Jesus knocks him from his horse and blinds him and tells him, I've got a mission for you, Paul. Your life is going to be radically different. That same man who's writing this letter now to build the church up, it was his mission. He had made it his mission to destroy the church, to put an end to the movement that was spreading amongst the Jews. In verse 19, Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit has given him the power of signs and wonders as he's traveled the ancient world to proclaim now this good news of the gospel to the Gentiles, this good news of this Jewish Messiah, this good news of who God is, this good news that this blessing of Abraham, his offspring, that would bring a blessing to the nation has come into the world. And now that he's here, he's reaching out to all nations to call them to repent of their sin, to be forgiven and to be reconciled to God. This man who is set on destroying these disciples of Jesus ends up being one of the main vehicles God uses to take this message out far beyond the borders of Israel. Paul has no room to boast. Not in and of himself. His entire life is a miracle of God. He has no room to boast. And all he can do now is to be obedient to what Christ has called him to do. He has to be obedient to take this message beyond the border of Israel to places, as he says, where Christ has not already been named. This is Paul's goal, to see the foundation of the church being laid in places that it hasn't been laid yet. To sit there and not just continue to build on what's already in Jerusalem or in Macedonia or in Rome, but to take it out beyond those borders, to find new cities, to find new believers, to find new people, to hear this hope of Jesus. From Jerusalem all the way to India, all the way to the Americas, to the ends of the earth. This message has to go out. It can't continually be built upon the foundation that's already present. I think this is something the church in America needs to pay close attention to right now in our day as well. And we all see it. We, we read headlines. We see, the, um, we see all the surveys that are happening. Everyone tells us church attendance in America is declining. We see the rejection of the Christian faith. We see a growing amount of people in our culture who have no experience or exposure to church life or to the Christian faith at all. That's right here in our neighborhoods. And that wasn't always the case. But it is today. And it's going to be all too easy in these coming days for us as a church to start looking for methods of survival that includes finding ways to just kind of pick people off from other churches to make sure that we don't have to close our doors. For us as a church, if God leads people here who are already Christians because they're new to town or for one reason or another they're looking for a new church home, we'll still welcome them to worship with us. And if the Lord calls them to join with us as a body of believers here, we'll be happy to bring people along so we can build each other up in the faith and work together for the sake of the kingdom. But this can't be our growth strategy. This can't be the growth strategy for the church in America. If it is, if this is what we've reduced ourselves to, then we've lost our saltiness. We've lost something that makes us distinct and effective to the world around us. We've lost the thing that sets us apart. We've lost the mission, which is to take the good news of the gospel to people who desperately need to hear it. It's good news that Jesus died to set them free from sin and make them right with God is needed for our neighbors, for the people we work with, for the people we're in school with. And as tempting as it might be to just try to assimilate already like-minded people into our fellowships, we have to take up the challenge that Paul has laid down for us here. And we have to make it our ambition to preach where Christ's name has, or where Christ has not already been named. That might be couple neighbors down the street from you. There might be a house where Christ has not been named. That might be on the other side of the globe. 
I don't know. I don't know what the Lord is calling you to. But I know He's called us to be faithful believers and disciples of His Son, Jesus. With that, we have to stop trying to partition off pieces of other people's foundations. We have to get our work boots on. Pouring foundations is not easy work. I'm sure you can go talk to Walker and he'll fill you in about how dirty concrete can be. It's hard, it's dirty, it's laborious. But there are foundations of faith to lay into people's lives that we haven't even met yet. There are people that the Lord will be bringing into our lives that need to hear this good news of who Jesus is coming into the world, dying to set them or save them from their sins. And we need to be ready to jump in and get a little messy. This is Paul's work. Preaching the gospel and seeing people who are far from God brought into the family of God through repentance and faith in Jesus. And Paul takes this message to all nations. This work has kept him busy, he tells us. Paul tells us in verse 22 that he is writing this letter to the Romans because I still haven't been able to come see you yet. I want to come see you, but there's been so much going on. I've often been I've have so often been hindered from coming to you, he says in verse 22. Paul has traveled all over these areas of the eastern Mediterranean and he hasn't been able to get to this church in Rome. And though he's obviously heard of them, he still has yet to be there. But he tells this church in Rome that I'm going to come and see you. I've got other places to go still. But I'm going to be coming to see you. Because Paul tells him, when I come to Rome, I'm coming to Rome to stop, to be encouraged by you, to get to know you a little bit, to build each other up in our faith. But that's not my final destination. Lord willing, I'm going to Spain. There's places where Christ still has not been named yet. And Paul says, I will go to the edges of whatever map I have to the far reaches of the earth to take the good news of the gospel to those people. So I'm coming to Rome to see you, but be ready to encourage me because I've got other places to go once I'm here. Paul, being obedient to his mission and his call, says, Lord willing, he will go to the ends of the earth with the good news of the gospel. And even though this is the case, there are still other matters Paul tells the church in Rome that he has to deal with in his immediate future. And it's going to delay his coming for a little bit longer because he has to go to Jerusalem first. Verse 26, we see these churches in Macedonia and Achaia, they have collected a contribution for the poor in Jerusalem. And this act of love and support for the Christians whom they probably likely never met. It comes from this heart to see practical needs of their brothers in Jerusalem met. Because of the spiritual blessing these brothers from Jerusalem have sent out. This message of the gospel wasn't contained in Jerusalem. It was taken out to towns all across Rome. And now these brothers and sisters in the faith in Macedonia and Achaia have heard of these needs. And they want to contribute. They want to give. They want to be a part of this mission that Paul is on right now. So they do what they can. And they said, We're going to, we have resources. We want to care for our brothers in Jerusalem too. Paul tells us that this is a good thing. This is a good thing for them to do. This is good for them to do, to be joining in with this work in whatever way they possibly can. These churches are probably full of Gentile believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And they've received this gospel message and now they're answering the call of every Christian to contribute to the needs of the saints and to be a part of this gospel work that extends beyond their own cities, that crosses borders and people groups. The news that these churches in Macedonia and Achaia are, attributing, are contributing to the needs of the saints and ultimately to the work of the kingdom going forward is the right response to the good news they've received. Paul has not only seen the people in these churches saved, but now they are commissioned into the work of making disciples. Let 
One way this happens, and we see it with these two churches in Macedonia and Achaia, is being generous with the resources that God has given. And as we're seeing here in chapter 15, we see this example of these two churches. But this is not the only way. We get another example of how to contribute and how to be a part of this work if we skip ahead to, to verses 30, where Paul calls the Roman church to join him in his work as well. Look back at verse 30 and 31 with me. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Some churches were able to contribute material things. They were able to take up an offering and to send resources to the church in Jerusalem to care for the poor among them. Now the church in Rome is being called to support Paul in his missionary work. He describes it as striving with him. Striving with him how? In their prayers. Paul, this apostle of Jesus who is traveling the known and the unknown world with a desire that God has given him to preach Christ, he tells them, I need your prayers. How easy would it be to read Paul's letter and to hear stories about who Paul is and the work that's come from his ministry and just think, wow, you know, whew, man, God, thank you for giving us Paul. Now, Paul is not some kind of super apostle. He deals with that in 1 Corinthians as well. He's not unique in the sense that he's better than any one of us, his brothers. And he tells us he needs the church. He needs people in the church to be praying for him. Because there are going to be people who are coming for his life. There's going to be people who are coming to hinder this mission that God has put him on. And he needs not just support from money, but he needs their support spiritually. Because his ambition for this mission is not ultimately his own. This is not a work Paul is doing to raise himself up, to raise his own name up. This is a mission to raise up the name of Christ. And so we want to support Him spiritually, he tells the church in Rome. Seek after the Lord. Pray for me. Don't forget me. Paul is going to the nations to preach Christ crucified. This message that God has given him, and he knows that the battle to take this good news is not a battle against the flesh, but it is a spiritual battle to take the light of Christ into places of the world that are very, very dark. And Paul calls the church in Rome to strive with him in this work with their prayers. Don't forget him in their prayers. Pray that through all of his trials, he may be delivered. And when the Lord sees him through and he gets to Rome, that spiritual support, that striving together through his prayers, it turns into something else in verse 32 turns into something Paul is looking forward to. Where he says, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. He's asking this church to remember him spiritually, to be praying for him, because he longs for the day when he gets to come and to fellowship and to worship and to be encouraged by them. Finally getting to meet these brothers and sisters in the faith who have gone to their knees before the Father, praying for their brother as he is on this mission that his life has been given over to. And this time of fellowship Paul longs for with the church in Rome is going to be a sweet, sweet time of refreshment for him. There are great needs that Paul has that go along with this work. And some churches are providing for the practical needs of faraway churches and for this mission. But there are still plenty other for other churches to contribute as well. Spiritually in prayer, through the refreshment of fellowship and encouragement of one another, these things we do as a church, these things Paul called the church in Rome to do in order to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. 
Paul's example here in this this portion of Romans chapter 15, I think, leaves us with a few points of application for us to consider in our own lives. Obviously, this, these words were written to the church of Rome a long time ago. But I think through them, we see a few things that, uh, that we can take and cling to and hold on and really apply in our own lives. I think the first thing I want us to consider as we think about Paul and his words to the, to the church in Romans 15 is what godly ambition and pride look like. Paul uses these words back in um, verses 7. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. And again, he talks of his ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has been named. These are two words typically we don't think of very highly in the Christian life because in and of ourselves, when we apply them to our own work, they tend to lead us astray. When we're looking to build ourselves up or chase after our own ambitions or to make a name for ourselves. But Paul shows us what godly ambition looks like. That godly ambition to see Jesus be made much of among people who haven't seen Him. That can live itself out in our lives in the way we walk through our lives, right? Day to day. That should cause us to want to look like what Paul described back in um, Romans 12 when he laid out what those marks of a true Christian should look like. That's a good godly ambition to exemplify those characteristics, right? To seek to be that living sacrifice in this world with so many um, unbelievers, so many people who reject the truth of the Gospel. When we have that ambition to be godly in our actions, to be obedient to Christ in such a way that we are glorifying Him in our in the way we talk, in the way we act, in the way we love one another. It's going to stand out. It's going to stick out in such a way just like what Paul's doing. He's going to be naming Christ to people who've never heard His name before. This is a good ambition. To seek the will of God. To live according to His ways and according to His precepts. Godly ambition and pride do have a place in our lives. But we have to remember that their place isn't about elevating us or trying to make us look good. It is all about elevating Jesus, bringing attention to Him and His glory. And we do that through our actions and through the way we care for one another, through the way we we treat our neighbors. Because it's going to look radically different. At least it should if we're doing it right, right? I think the second thing for us to think about Something for us to really hold on to as we walk out of here, and this is going to be hard for us to think, for some of us to think about too, but we are all called to the work of building the kingdom. John Piper said uh, one time that there are three options when it comes to missions. You can be a zealous goer, you can be a zealous sender, or you can be disobedient. That's it. You're going to go and you're going to follow a call on your life that God has given you to take this message to people who have never heard it before. Or you're going to be somebody who is going to zealously send those people who have that call. It's not a sin if you don't feel called to go overseas. If you feel indifferent towards people hearing the Gospel, yes, that's something to repent of. But you may not be called to go to an overseas mission field. You may not be called to go to Afghanistan or China, or somewhere very hard in the world with the message of the Gospel. But we should have a tremendous amount of zeal to see people who have raised their hand and say, God has called me to this place to be supporters of them, and to send them out, and to be ready to support them with our resources, with our prayers, when they come back with fellowship and times of encouragement and refreshment. We have to be one of those first two, otherwise we'll end up being disobedient. It reminded me of the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, in verses 14 to 30. I'm just going to read that for us here. Jesus is telling three parables about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And in this parable, he says this, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. 
To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and laid his master dug in the ground and laid his master hid his master's money. Now after a long time the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more saying, "Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more." His master said to him, "Well done, good and faithful servant." You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have also been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also had received one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what's yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received that what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For to everyone who has more will be given, and he who has an abundance, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the worthless servants into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It should be a terrifying picture for us to think of all that God has given us. And to think how often we are just indifferent to His mission. How often do we take the talent He's given us and we bury it in the ground for whatever reason that may be. There's zealous goers, there's zealous senders, and there's disobedient. And we don't need to be like this foolish servant who had a treasure, who had a gift that was immeasurable worth. And he took it and he buried it. We all are on this mission together, church. We're missionaries right now, right where we live, right where we stand. There are people who are lost that need this treasure, that need to hear this good news of the gospel. That doesn't mean you have to go and you may not be gifted as an evangelist. That's a gifting. That's, that's not something that we're all just given. But we're all disciples. And we all get to live out what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus in our neighborhoods and at work. So don't bury our talents here. Let's go zealously. Let's send zealously. Let's not be disobedient. Last thing I, I want us to think about as we think about this letter, or the end of chapter 15 in this letter, is that there is sweet fellowship we get to enjoy when we labor together. Like Paul, who pleads for prayers, and he cries out to his brothers in the church of Rome, strive with me. I haven't come to you. I haven't been able to see you yet. I'm coming. And when I come, I need you to strengthen me because I've got to go past Rome. There's the ends of the earth still for me to go to. And he's longing to be refreshed by their company. We reap that benefit still today. That's why we're here this morning. That's what we're doing here, right? It's nice, it's sunny, it's going to be like in the 60s today. I think I say this all the time. I was like, you know, I, I drive past the golf course on the way down here. There's already people out golfing. There's plenty of fun things we could do. There's plenty of things that we could kind of fill our flesh with. But we all are here, compelled by the Spirit to come together. Why? To encourage one another, to worship, to sing, to lift our hands and to praise our God. Right? This is a refreshing time. We want the world to know what this time is like and what it is to be refreshed in the Lord, and we want to see them come and join us, right? We reap that benefit today. In some ways, we understand, too, what Paul's talking about. Thinking about Paul and talking about this time of refreshing, I couldn't help but think about our missionaries across the earth that we support, 
And I think about Keith and Debbie who were here this past summer. Man, that was great to see them. To hear what God's doing at Veritas Church in Rizzano, Italy. They've been there for 15 years. Started with just them reaching people in their neighborhood and their community around them. They're so big they need a new building now. 120 people have been reached with the gospel in this place that is filled with secularism. That's the kind of refreshment we need. We need to hear these stories of brothers and sisters who are faithfully taking what God has given them and seeing lost souls saved. We need that. We need to hear that. We need to see that. But we need to be that for each other too. We're on a mission together. We need to take everything that Paul has given us in these first 15 or those first 11 chapters of Rome where we got this great knowledge of God and who He is and how He works out salvation. And then we need to apply those things of chapter 12 that tell us how to be Christians, what it looks like to be a faithful believer, and how we glorify God in our lives. Now we need to take it in verse 15, and we need to take that news and not hold on to it for our own sake, but we need to spread it to the ends of the earth, everywhere where Christ has not been named. Because our boast is in Him. Let's pray. Father, we come to You and we leave everything in Your hands right now, Lord. God, we do have no boast in and of ourselves. Our boast is only in Christ and what You have done for us. And Lord, we gather together to refresh one another with this good news. We gather together to build a holy ambition and pride not of ourselves, but in the work that You've done, God. And we want to see people saved from sin, Father. We want to see people up here sharing their testimony and baptized. Lord, that comes from us not trying to implement programs, not trying to use gifts that we may not be gifted for, but Lord, that just comes from us being disciples. That comes from us wanting to be obedient to who You've called us to be. That only comes, Lord, from Your Spirit working in us. So, Father, let Your Spirit work in us this morning so that we would just be vessels, God, vessels used to spread this good news, Lord, this hope of eternal life in Christ, this hope that we have to be made right with You, Father. Lord, be with us today, Lord, and just uh, strengthen us to do this work, to, to embrace this mission You put us on, Lord. Let's never take our treasure and bury it, Lord, but let us just see this treasure spread throughout the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.